Um, once upon a time, um, I was a basketball player uh, at NNU, back NNC back then. And um, someone pinned that title on me when I was back in college. Uh, I'm not doing too much. Well, I try to play basketball a couple times a week, but I'm not doing as much scooting as I used to. Uh, you know how that goes. Um, but it is really great to be here. And, uh, and greetings. Greetings from uh, the Intermountain District family. Uh, Randy referred to me as his boss. Uh, I oversee 50-some churches. Um, uh, as the district superintendent, I'm a pastor on the Intermountain District, so... Um, but I, I serve in this role. Uh, the highest calling in my life, I'm a pastor, okay? And uh, they've called me to serve in this role as district superintendent, and so I oversee the 50, I think it's about 53 churches currently. Um, we stretch from over here in uh, John Day, you folks, and I was in Hines, uh, Burns last night uh, to meet with those folks, their church board. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in McCall. That's the northern border of our district up in McCall, Idaho. Um, a week ago, we were in Salt Lake City. And so Salt Lake City is the east border of our district. And uh, I haven't been to Elko in a little bit, but Elko, Nevada is, is the southern part of our district. So that's the space that Vicki and I get to travel every week. Um, I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to try to make reference to the fact that I'm in John Day. If I mess that up, please understand. Um, uh, we're we're on the move a little bit, and but we're really thankful to be here. Uh, two two things before I get started. Um, uh, n- number one, Vicky and I we travel quite a bit, and like I said, we're the ultimate church hoppers because we get to be in a different church every week, and. Um, and so, so when we get to, to come and be with Randy and Lynn, who are longtime friends, and, and then to be in your church for the weekend, this Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this is really wonderful. Um, so thank you for the invitation. Thanks for the opportunity. We're going to have to look at the Word together and interact together. And, and uh, I, I just want to say thank you to Randy, and we're blessed to be here. Uh, this is really a treat for us to be with you all, and I hope... Uh, you find the time that we're together really valuable. Um, the, the, the second thing is, I, I, I just want to um, remind you, um, I'm not going to say anything this week that weekend that you don't already know. Um, you're very much aware of what the Word of God says. I just want to remind you of some things that I think are significant in our life journey. We were singing that uh, song, Oceans, uh, here a minute ago. Um, and, that, and that song is significant um, in my life journey, in part uh, because God has pushed us to a place that's called us to trust Him more. Right? Do you, do you, do you like being in those places? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right? I cannot sing that song and I thought about you and your congregation tonight because I cannot sing that song because soon after I, uh, I took this job, we were back at our home church where we came from. I pastored the Nazarene Church in Bremerton, Washington. Any of you ever been to Bremerton? It's a beautiful place. We pastored there for 23 years, so that was our home. 
right? And then we got called to Idaho. That's a whole nother story we can talk about later. But uh, we were there in our in our church where we'd pastored. And there was a Sunday when we were singing that song. And I gazed to my right and I saw a family um, that I had walked through the valley of the shadow of death with. And they were singing and praising God and just drawn into the presence of a faithful God who, um, who has not failed them yet. It's part of the words of that song. And I was just drawn to the beauty, the beauty of God and the way that he comes to us so faithfully. And I think about your congregation. I know you've been through some things that have been heartbreaking from an earthly perspective over the past few weeks. And I I thought about you singing that song with you tonight. Um, Just recognizing that the faithful God who is faithful to those people in the church that I pastored and I could look at them as they praised God and we sang that beautiful song. Thank you tonight. Uh, That was my prayer for you tonight. That God will call you into places that on your own you choose not to go. Right? But he calls us to places because he, he knows us and loves us and has our best interest in mind. And he wants to love us in the midst of them and be faithful to us. And I'm so thankful um, for that. And that's my prayer for you, even this weekend, that somehow you'll just experience the presence of God in some way and be drawn to him. And, and um, you know, you just learn how to trust him more. You know, you'll just find yourself saying, boy, I want to live into what, who God has called me to be as a follower of Jesus. Um, so open your Bibles with me tonight. Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to begin tonight. Uh, Romans chapter 1. And uh, hopefully this weekend you'll get uh, acquainted with, with Vicki, my wife. Um, she is a terrific partner in the journey, and we're kind of in this thing together, you know, uh, as we ride along the highways of byways of life. And... Um, and so hopefully you'll get acquainted with her. I'm, I'm always in a better place when Vicky's uh, close by. And uh, so you'll need to, you need to get acquainted with Vicky. Okay. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is where I want to turn you in the scripture. Because I've, I've been drawn uh, to a word in, in the scripture which really has captured my attention. You ever have that happen? You ever read the word or interact with the word of God and there's a word that just kind of stands off the page at you and you just find yourself drawn to it and uh, and you just say, man, I, I there's something about that word that just captures my heart. Well, well, this word, it's a familiar word. Um, it shows up all over the place and when I give it to you tonight, you're not at all going to be surprised. Common word around the easy, earliest followers of Jesus, I'm sure it'll be familiar to most of you. Um, one of those words that describes not only uh, the life, the message of Jesus, but uh, the life and message of those who've chosen to follow him. And um, so here I am, I'm, I'm now going about my job, traveling from church to church, you know, different place every week. Um, and it's a word I've been programmed to listen for. Now, I may not hear the word itself. 
But there's the concept. There's the concept that this word communicates that I, I, I can guarantee I'm listening for it every week. Um, I got a great story, but it's too early for me to tell it. Um, maybe I'll sneak it into the message. God will help me to sneak it into the message somewhere tonight. Um, and, and so this is what I want to talk to you about tonight, okay? I want to talk to you about this word that's got a hold of my heart and my life. So you better understand. You, you know, you're like, okay, what's the word? Give it to me. All right. Um, so Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Okay, why don't you stand with me? Let's read this together. Romans 1, 16, a familiar verse where Paul writes this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You see it? Let's read it together off the screen, shall we? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Okay, you're probably wondering what the word is. I mean, the word, there are lots of really good words in that verse, right? So I picked a good one. But I, I got to talk to you this weekend. I want to talk to you about I want to talk to you about the word, the word gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Lord, help us tonight, would you? These good folks have come out on a Friday night. And I, I believe they want to hear something from you. And I just want to be the messenger. So um, help me not and get, get in the way of what you want to say. And, uh, and open our eyes to the beauty and the power of the gospel. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Um, the word gospel. Now, you know what the word means, right? You're all aware of what the word, word means. What, what's the word gospel mean? Someone give it to me. Good news. Yeah, we're all in tune with that. Good news. Um. I believe that everybody likes the sound of good news, don't you? I just am of the belief that when I arrive home from work and my wife is there and she says, boy, have I got good news. Everybody's ears kind of perk up. How about you? Right? I think we get excited, don't we? When we get called to a meeting at work and you kind of got that fear and trepidation. You know what I mean? Randy referred to me as his boss, and I, I tell pastors that I'm only their boss if they're in trouble. So as long as Randy's not in trouble, we're in good place. I don't have to be his boss. I can just be a, you know. But I love going to churches, and, and I hear people say, man, I got good news. It kind of takes all, you know, like, oh, let's just relax. Let's just bask in the good news. There, there, there's a joy in our heart, Right? When we can be the bearers of good news. Good news. Now, um, when I got to uh, John Day today, it didn't take very long until Randy and I were swapping grandparent pictures. I got a new granddaughter. And uh, my granddaughter, her name is Emma. She's five months old. The problem is she lives just outside of Venice, Italy. 
So my wife has gone to Italy since she's been born and held that little girl. I've only got to see her through FaceTime. Isn't that terrible? You're all supposed to just groan and moan for me. You're supposed to feel terrible for me, right? But my phone every once in a while will ping this interesting ping sound. And I know it's a message from my daughter. And usually it's got some kind of picture on it. And I'm not going to show it to you unless you ask me. But if you ask, I'll show the pictures of my granddaughter. But when I hear that ping, you know what happens? I begin to feel, that's good news. Don't you like good news? I I think about the power of good news. The power of good news. I, I, I think you would agree with me. If there was ever a time when the world in which we live needed to hear good news, it would be today. It's hard to turn on the news, right? Or pick up the paper. Because you know the message, right? If it bleeds, it leads. That's how the world works with the news. That's not good news. Uh, People are looking for good news. Real, genuine, lasting, good news. Understand that your pastor, Randy, has been preaching about sharing your faith and reaching into the community. Truth is, your friends and neighbors are looking for good news. Um, If they're going to be drawn to Christ, they'll be drawn to Him because He brings what? Good news. It's a place where they need to hear about good news. And they need to see it. Here's the story I was going to tell you earlier, but it was the wrong time. This is the right time. Vicki and I were driving through a town. I won't mention where. I won't mention when. We drove by a church sign. And the pastor had put together a, uh, his sermon for the week. And the sermon for the week was titled, The Highway to Hell. And you know what I said to myself? I ain't going there Sunday. Because <laughs> I, I, I know, okay, I believe in heaven and hell. Don't get me wrong. But I'm looking for good news. I'm looking for good news. All right. So, so here's this word gospel. The word gospel. It, it has a beautiful image and history among the people of God. Let, 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 me, let me give it to you a little bit. Back in the Old Testament, the Israelites found themselves taken captive by their enemies. It's a really hard story to read, right? You think about how horrible it would be to have a foreign army come into your town and exercise power over you and take the very best and the brightest out of your community to a different land. Just think about how truly that would symbolize humiliation and defeat and how demoralizing that would be for your people. And that's what happened to the Jewish people. But while they're at this low point, what's God do? God would send prophets into their midst and they would declare the coming victory of God. Right? This message of victory. Victory was on the horizon. The appearance of a new king. The establishing of a new kingdom. I mean, they would come declaring words like we find in Isaiah 52.7. 
You've probably heard these words. How beautiful are the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Good news. You hear the message? And God would put this good news on the, mes- on the lips of his messengers. And in the midst of the people's darkness and struggle, this message would go out that would declare that God is still king and God still has a plan and, and God has not forgotten us and a new day is coming and it was a message even in their struggle. A promise of good news. Oh, we think about it a little later in history. The Greeks came along and, and, and they viewed the word in a very similar way. I mean, armies were sent out to fight great battles and it was anticipated that maybe a ship would return home or a fast horse could be seen galloping across the horizon or, or a swift runner would come scampering into town and the people would hear a proclamation of victory. Because you see, victory over their enemies was the salvation of a city and of a people. And they would look at these messengers as messengers of what? Good news. See, so now you've got this dynamic that good news is tied to victory. The good news of victory, you think ahead to the people of Jesus' day. Living in a land that's dominated by the Romans. Everywhere they look, they see a Roman military presence. They're confronted by a Roman government. They're constantly bombarded by Roman culture. They are uh, asked to pay a Roman tax. But they hold on to the promise that one day God is going to send a king and a new king will arrive on the scene and will establish this new kingdom. And it is anticipated as what? Good news. Good news. And then Jesus is born. Oh, you know this story. It's a really odd story, the message of Jesus and Jesus being born. Have you ever thought about it? It's a story that has so many unanticipated terms and twists that it can easily be overlooked. I'm sure it was in Jesus' day. He comes as this common man's Messiah, right? The God who is found in a cattle trough. In a stable? Oh, who would have thunk it? And the first bit of visitors are a bunch of less than ordinary shepherds who have heard good news from an angel. <laughs> and there's nothing that's spectacular about Jesus. I mean, right? Not at first. But we have to take place of what happens in Luke chapter 4. Because Jesus arrives makes his first public pronouncement in the local synagogue, takes the scroll, he reads from Isaiah, and he reads to the people that day, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor... And then Jesus sits down and boldly announces today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
And we watch, right? We watch the story of Jesus unfold. And what happens? He heals the sick, frees people from evil spirits that bind them, speaks into their lives in a way that is radically different and freeing from the religion of the day. He confronts those who are caught up in the same old, same old belief system, talks of this new kingdom, tells wild and crazy stories about it. (laughs) And it's dominated by a love that's just unimaginable and unfathomable. A love for God and a love for neighbor that's life-changing and and, and, and you know the story, you know, just about the time when he gets to the place where people are ready to make him the king, what happens? Huh. The same Jesus, he does something else that's rather unthinkable. Prompted by some religious leaders, he's handed over to the governing authorities and he's nailed to the cross. And for his followers, it is just heartbreaking. You know, it's, it, it, it's really amazing to think about because in that moment, they would not think of calling that Good Friday in any way good, right? Because of the death of their friend and their leader. But Sunday comes. Praise God. And there is awareness of victory. You see how the pieces begin to fit together here? As Jesus defeats sin and death and the evil one. And we begin to understand that the victory is seen in the very person of Christ. He embodies it. He incarnates the victory. And he is the king that they're looking for. Wow. And he's ushered in this new kingdom. And we begin to understand as you read the scripture, now follow with me, that Jesus is so great that the people begin to talk about him and his story as what? The gospel. Jesus is the good news. Wow. You want to know about the good news? It's all about Jesus. You you want to know how the good news plays out? Just read the story of Jesus. What's the world need today more than anything else? Jesus. Why? Because his life and story is the good news. Man. The essence of the good news is the fact that in the person of Jesus we find the power of the gospel. But Paul writes, we looked at it earlier, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's he saying? I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Why? 
For Jesus in his story is the power of the gospel, the power of salvation for the world. That's why Paul can say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm going to wave his banner high. Because Jesus is good news. Wow. Do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus tonight? Do you know that in Jesus, the kingdom that he promised has arrived? And the first place the king wants to reign is in you. Wow. That's the good news of the gospel right there. You know? So I'm thinking about it, you know? I, I, I think about it. I, I watched uh, Billy Graham's funeral today. And as I watched Billy Graham's funeral, you know, it was just filled with this message of the gospel. They were just going to talk about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And they were just going to talk about Jesus. I was interested. The commentators, they had to deal with Jesus today. <laughs> right? And, and, and you know the truth. Okay, you know the truth in the world in which we live. Because there's a lot of people in the world in which we live, all of its issues, I'm not sure they believe it, the good news. Right? I, I even know some people who are kind of looking forward to heaven. And that was an issue in, this, in, the, you know, in the funeral service today. Are you ready for heaven? I, I know some people who may be looking for heaven, um, and, but I'm not sure they're living in the good news. <laughs> now, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I believe in heaven. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> but I want to live in the good news today. How about you? And that's what Jesus came to do. And we're going to talk about that tonight and tomorrow and the power of the Holy Spirit to do that in your life on Sunday. Wow. What a story. We've been given the opportunity, you and I, to live into the victory, the very victory that is found in Christ. Where you raise the banner and wave it high and you say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation for me. Now, some would say, uh, man, I, I, I'm not sure that's true. Um, I was reading a book not long ago, and the guy said, one of the guys quoted a, a guy in a book, it said that uh, he didn't look at religion as being good news. One guy said, I can't believe uh, that, that believing in something can make, especially when it comes to Jesus, can make my life any different. A lot of people look at uh, religion and say, well, you know, it's just a whole lot of new have-tos in your life. One guy even said, how can Jesus be referred to as good news for it seems like following him involves everything I hate? That's a happy guy. And, and you know, I added that. You know, I, I hang around church people. And there's a whole lot of church people who need to let their face know that their heart believes in the good news. You ever notice that? 
man, I, I have the impression that some Christians, well, the world thinks they're judgmental and they're angry at a changing world. They think a whole lot of Christians just come off as holier than thou. And a lot of Christians, you know, people look at them and believe in like, what do you do down there at the church? You guys must suck lemons all day. And when you talk about some kind of change in your life, God removed your funny bone. You ever met any of those Christians? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. And somehow we got to get the message out that the good news really is good. So I want to talk to you about embracing not some kind of religion, but the person of Jesus who is the personification of the good news and the victory that he wants to bring. And I just believe it will put a smile on your face and it will put joy in your heart and it will change the way you will look at the world in every way because God has made a way through his Holy Spirit for folks like us, regular, ordinary folks, to become his sons and daughters. Huh. And when we learn to live out of that identity as the sons and daughters of God, we learn what it means to have everyday friendship and fellowship with Jesus. And this is what makes the good news so good. Because it just changes us and how we look at the world. And, and, and it changes how we live with our families. And how we love our families. And it changes how we live with each other, not just in the body of Christ, but in the world. And it changes how we go about our work. The power of the gospel. Wow. Okay. So, so let me just give you, let, let me just give you just something that's, God impressed upon me as I was thinking about all this. Um, how does the good news impact your life, and where does it begin? Right? If I were to ask you that, we could have a great conversation. And I want to lead the conversation tonight, so I want to say this to you. I want to say, the good news begins in your heart and life when you open your heart and receive God's forgiveness. And you just embrace the grace that God wants to pour out all over you. That's where the good news begins. Because here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. I've seen it too much not to believe it. The the, the power of our past has a way of shaping our identity and how we will live in our present and future. Do you believe it? The power of our past has a way of shaping our identity and how we will live, not only in our present, but in our future. You think about it. You got any things in your past that could potentially haunt you? Boy, I've got a few things. I've done some things in my life of which I'm not very proud. I was born with a short fuse. Well, I came into the world with a really selfish heart, okay? Even when I was a little kid, you know, I just wanted to cry and I want everything to be mine. You did too. Right? I remember how embarrassed Vicky and I were when our first child was born. We were standing at the church nursery, looking in the window into the nursery as the kids were playing, and, and, uh, and our, our kid was in there playing, and we were just so proud. 
And then he got into this big tussle with the kid next to him because he wanted a toy and he was hollering, mine, 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 right? Right? And then we were all embarrassed because we thought, oh boy, do they think that he learned that at our household? That's how we live at our house. Truth was, no, that wasn't the issue. That's just how you're born. Amen? Just making sure you're all still awake. And, 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 you know, coupled with my uh, very selfish heart that I was born with, I was born with a, uh, I was born with a short fuse and a quick tongue. It's a bad combination. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Terrible combination. It's a recipe for expressive anger. Uh, I know about that. Recipe for saying words that hurt people. Uh, Words that as soon as you say them, you wish you could take them back, which is kind of like putting toothpaste back in the tube. When I was a boy, my mom saw the problem I had. She put a sign on the mirror of my bedroom door that said, make sure your brain is engaged before you engage. Make sure your brain is in gear before you engage your mouth. That's how my mom felt about me in that moment. Oh, boy. And, you know, I tried, I tried to work at it. I tried my best to work at it. But there are times I just get angry and the words just came spewing out. So one example of my selfishness. You would say, oh, that was never my problem. Thank God. Some people just internalize all their feelings and allow them to fester within them. Some people get angry and they get bitter. I think about the things I've done in my life, things I've said, choices I've made. When I dwell on them a little bit, I got to tell you, it fills me with a great deal of guilt and shame. I don't like the decisions I've made. And you know what else? I really don't like the person who made the decisions. Wow. So I've tried lots of ways over the course of my life to deal with those issues. I tried to ignore them, hoping they'd just go away. Didn't work so well. I tried to rationalize and justify my actions. You know, I would say everyone's got problems. These are mine, but, you know, there's every, this is how I made. Other people have their problems, too. And, uh, you know, that helped a little bit, but I could then had to look at people that I'd said things to in the eye, and that wasn't so great. And then I had to go look at myself in the mirror, and that wasn't great at all. So rather than being honest with myself and facing what I did, I did what a lot of people do. Maybe you've done this. I just faked it. You ever do that? You just fake it? You just act like everything's all right on the outside when you know everything isn't all right on the inside? And... uh It's a terrible way to live. Because here's the deal. My actions couldn't change my identity. And then every once in a while, that ugly part of me would show up again and I'd feel guilty all over again. Someone here may know what I'm talking about. You may have that same kind of anger. But the truth is, 
There's got to be common elements in all of our story because what's the Bible say? Right? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if it isn't anger, it's something else for you because you've been born with a selfish heart as well. And it causes all kinds of issues and it, and it shapes your identity. You want to tell, uh, I, I got to tell you though, here's the good news. There's good news. In the death of Jesus on the cross, he's made a way we can be, able to be forgiven. And that's why I say this is the essence. This is the essence of the good news, knowing the forgiveness of Christ. Because all of these things that we've carried from our past, all of these things that have shaped our identity can be washed and we can be made clean. Wow. That's the best news I could ever give you. Some would say that's unbelievable. Can't happen. Um, Well, I have to put my trust in the Word of God. And you know this verse, right? If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. We can be washed clean of that past. And here's the deal. When that happens, we don't look at ourselves the same way. Because now, we're the sons and daughters of God. I'm the son and daughter of God. I'm the son of God. And in that moment, I've been given a new identity. It's the most amazing aspect of the good news Jesus brings. It starts when we realize we don't have to carry any longer the guilt of our shame of our past. In Christ, the past loses its power over us. Wow. You got any things in your past? Yeah. In Christ, we can look ourselves in the mirror and feel the sense of peace. And God just not only wants to forgive us and make us clean, but he wants to place within us this new identity. He wants to establish within us that we are his beloved sons. I am a son of God. You, you are a son or daughter of God. You are a child of God. That is your identity. Boy, that's good news. And I, I, I can't express to you enough, I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 plus years. I can't express to you enough how many people in their life are terrorized and paralyzed because of a difficult past. Some of their choosing, sometimes not of their choosing. But when we understand the forgiveness of God, Right? We're brought into a right relationship with God through Christ. The past loses its power over us. Wow. Some of that comes in forgiveness. Some of it comes in just the awareness that we are the sons and daughters of God. Our identity is no longer shaped by what has happened to us but our identity is shaped by what God has done in us. Wow. It's unbelievable. It's the power of the gospel. I don't know of anywhere else in all the world that we can talk about your identity being changed. This is the power 
of Jesus and the gospel. And I, and I love it. I love that God can change my identity. I, I think about my life. Most of you don't know me very well. In fact, some of you don't know me at all. Uh, if we were to co- start a conversation, the two of us, and uh, we, we were begin to talk about things, what would begin to happen was in a, in a couple of seconds, they say, you would make an opinion about me. And then we'd have to sort through the conversation to see if, uh, if maybe I could change your opinion. Or maybe not. You'd probably want to know where I'm from. You may want to know about my family. You may want to see a picture of my granddaughter. That would change your opinion about me. You, you, you'd want to be, see if there's any potential, any potential at all, that we could have a friendship. And so I, I, I would follow up my answers uh, with, to your questions, and they would either affirm or deny that first impression. You, you all know how that game works, how that dance works, right? You all understand it. And you think about it, it's a whole lot of pressure. It'd be a whole lot of pressure on me, because if you're asking those questions, you know what i got to tell you, I really want you to like me. I would really like for you to like me, Right? I want you to think I'm a good person. But let me just tell you, if you've got identity issues going on within you, and you fake it, it doesn't help. It just makes a mess of this whole deal. We, we become what one person called a poser, and we just dig a really deep hole for ourselves because... The question is planted within us, you know, if these people really knew the truth about me, would they like me then? You ever been there? And then we tell ourselves, oh man, we're in great trouble because I think people like the fake me and they don't like the real me. So what do I do now? You know, I just hold, try to hide behind who I am on Facebook and that'll all be good, right? Because that's an easy place to put the fake me and then you can like the fake me and you don't have to deal with the real me. But oh boy, that just complicates life. Do do, do you see what I'm talking about? All right. You don't know the beauty of the gospel. Here's the good news. The good news is you can stand before God and be made new. And the greatest thing that I can say now to you, you want to know about me? Let me tell you about me. I'm a beloved son of God. It's who I am. (laughs) And I've got some things in my past that we can talk about, if you want to, but they don't define me. I can tell you something of my story. Oh, but all of that is secondary to the awareness that I've encountered the good news of Jesus. And the most important thing about me is that I am a beloved son of God. Do you have Romans 1 open? Do you think Paul knew that story? You know a story, right? This man Paul knew all about the power of his identity in Christ. I think it's why he's not ashamed of the gospel. Because you know his story. Paul was one bad dude. I mean, some have referred to Paul and described him as an ultra-terrorist who was determined to wipe out Christians. I mean, this is one bad guy. 
He was standing there the day Stephen was stoned to death. Right? And, and, and this is Paul, who was named Saul at the time. He's anxious to breathe out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I mean, this is this guy, Saul. And he's headed to round up some Christians when he has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changes his life, and it reshapes his whole identity. And he wasn't Saul any longer, but his name changes, and now he's Paul, the greatest missionary the gospel has ever known, and all the things that once seemed so important to him. You can read about it in the third chapter of Philippians if you'd like, but all these things that seem so important to him, his heritage, his training, his own pursuit of righteousness, he looks at them as worth nothing in comparison to just knowing Jesus and be found in him. That's the power of the gospel. I just want to know Jesus and be one of his children. I want to be identified as a child of God. It changes your identity. So it brings us back to the verse, Romans 1, 16, where Paul is boldly announcing, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It tells us something of the world in which he lived. The context of the verse reflects Paul's thoughts were turned toward this great city of Rome, this great city of Rome, his desire to visit there. It's a cosmopolitan place, a place that's looked upon as the center of civilization, a home to great thinkers, a place where people are looking for answers to life's tough questions. And so some would say, oh, the gospel of Jesus is out of place there. It doesn't matter in that kind of setting. (laughs) And yet Paul's message is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The good news of Jesus, because it has transformative power. Because it changed my identity. And now I'm a child of God. the hope of the world oh well I think about that message what the world would call foolishness we would say no this is the power of the gospel and it can change you and your story tonight as well I was reading about this and uh, thinking about it and came across a story from author Keith Miller he, uh, he tells a story of an, an out, outgoing 40-year-old woman who was a part of a sharing group he led. And he said, said, here's her story. Because in her group, she shared this one day. She said, uh, when I was a little tiny girl, my parents died, I was put in an orphanage. I wasn't pretty at all. No one seemed to want me. I was longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I can remember, she said. She said, I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. She said, I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look me over, and what I did drove them away. She said, but then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. And she said, I was so excited that I jumped up and down and cried like a little baby. And the matron reminded me this this was just a trial, and it may not be a permanent arrangement. And I just knew somehow it would work out. And 
she said, I went with this family and I started school and I was the happiest little girl you can imagine and life began to open up for me a little, she said. And then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school and ran in the front door and in the big old house we lived in, no one was home, but in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase and my little coat was thrown over it. And as I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what that meant. I didn't belong there anymore. And Miller reports that when the woman stopped speaking, there was hardly a dry eye in their group. And then she cleared her throat and she said, almost matter-of-factly, she said, this happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. She said, but wait, but wait. Don't feel too badly. Because it was experiences like this that ultimately brought me to God. And there I found what I had always longed for. A place, a sense of belonging, a forever family, an identity. You want to talk about the good news? There's the good news. No matter what your past, the power of Christ tonight offers you a new identity. Change your life forever. I think the group's going to come and lead in a song. And I I don't know. I don't know if God has been speaking into your heart in any way tonight. So come. Come, would you? You're going to sing. And I I don't know if God has been speaking in any way to your life tonight. But it could be that someone here tonight just says, Man, I just need to have an encounter with Jesus. Because Jesus has come into the room tonight and he has proclaimed the good news of victory. And that victory is one that just says this. You may have a lot of stuff in your past, but it doesn't have to have power over you anymore. Because you can live into the forgiveness of Christ and you can begin to live as a son or daughter of God. Wow. What good news.